All right, let's talk about Daniel. And, and I know that was a little bit extended, but uh, it's, uh, it's worthy. Uh, hopefully it was worthwhile for you to see that this whole thing like actually fits together. And uh, uh, what I also want you to see is my job is really hard, right? Do you see that? We've done Dan, uh, Daniel chapters one through six. Uh, I actually have books on my shelf about Daniel that stop at chapter six because nobody wants to do chapter seven and eight and nine and 10. Uh, I, I lovingly refer to it as lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Right? Do you see this? The first thing you need to know is that overwhelmingly, these last chapters of Daniel are dream chapters. Uh, and they're not, dream is even too nice of a word. They're nightmare chapters. Daniel has visions, the great, you know, he, Daniel's the guy that has, other people have visions, and Daniel says, here's what it means, and Dan, now Daniel's having visions, and he goes into mourning. They're so intense and so terrifying that he faints. You know, like, these are extreme night terrors. He dreams about rams and goats and, and horns. Like some of the beasts have 10 horns and these horns have eyes and a mouth and the mouth is, speaks out against God. He has visions of kings and rulers and authorities and not all of them are earthly. You see this spiritual battle, this, this pa constant power struggle between the, the, the heathen powers that are against God, the human powers that are against God and God's almighty power. These last chapters are dark and mysterious. Forces are coming out to challenge God. And, and in a part of this is they oppress God's people. These beasts, these kingdoms, all of the accomplishment of man are trying to assert their authority over the authority of God. And Daniel has a name for this time, for this period, this, this conflict between humanity and God. He calls it the time of wrath. Sounds like an Xbox game, I don't know. And the result of this time of wrath is that God's people experience a season of pain and suffering and longing. And so really what I'm going to do over the, the next two weeks, this week and next week, uh, I just we're going to look at this, this last half of Daniel, and, and I really have my work cut out for me. But what I see is this apocalyptic section of scripture. So I don't want you to read it as history. I want you to read it as dream and vision. I want you to read it like you would read Revelation. We, we need to put on a little bit different lenses when we read it. But what I see in this apocalyptic section of scripture in many ways is a replay of what happens at the Exodus. All right, you guys remember Exodus? I'm, I know I'm moving around a lot. God's people, they become slaves of the, you know, Pharaoh, Charlton Heston. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? They become slaves. They endure horrible suffering and oppression. And then what do they do next? They cry out to God. They cry out to God. And eventually, God hears their cry. And that's really where we're going to be the next two weeks. Like, like these two themes are incredibly important of uh, the people of God falling into a season of suffering and pain and slavery and death and crying out. And the second half, and really you need to come back next week, it'll be better, trust me. Is God hearing that cry and responding?
So really two themes as we finish up Daniel, a theme of longing and a theme of relief. Um, let's talk about longing. Uh, sometimes I meet Christians, uh, sometimes people become Christians, or, or even when they're new in the faith, they're, they're new to coming to Christ. They, they come to Christ and their attitude is, man, thank goodness the wait is over. Now that I'm in good with God like that, I just say a prayer and poof, there it is. I no longer have to wait for anything. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the scripture, like if you look in scripture, there is a lot of waiting. Joseph waits. David hides in the desert before becoming the king. Abraham and Sarah, they're barren for years. Israel is in chains in Egypt. They're in the desert for 40 years. Paul waits. And, and like even like our church calendar today, the big church calendar today, begins with the season of waiting called Advent, right? And all through scripture, God's people are in this time of wrath. We see it again and again and again. And they're all waiting and longing for a Messiah. And Daniel's no different. As you saw just a minute ago, the people of God, have Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. All of the remnant of God's people have been shipped off and they're, they're trying to be, uh, you know, become good Babylonians now. And they've been in exile for 70 years. And in chapter 9, you really see like the emotion and the intensity of this out of Daniel. In, in, in chapter 9, Daniel's broken. He's had these visions. He's lived in this time of wrath. He's lived under this rule. God, God's authority in every way, shape, and form is being challenged and degraded. And in chapter 9, Daniel just calls out to God. Look what it says in chapter 9, verse 17 through 19. Daniel, in this great prayer, he says, Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. Do you hear that cry in there? In chapter 8, verse 13, uh, here's what uh, Daniel says. He's seen one of these visions. And he said, I've, I heard two holy ones talking to each other, and one of them asked, how long? You remember Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Like here's the central question. How long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple of, and heaven's armies be trampled on? In chapter 12, he says, how long will it be until these shocking events are over? Like this is a, a cry 
throughout Scripture. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Important question. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever felt this way? Be honest. Have any of you from the deep place inside of you cried out, how long? Just how much longer? I have a friend uh, named Katie. She wrote a Facebook post this week. I'll put it on the screen for you. You don't know Katie, so it's okay. I think I'll put it on the screen for you. There it is. Here's what she says. She says, I don't usually express a whole lot of emotion on Facebook, but we need your prayers. Please pray for Dave and I. I've been unemployed for the last month, and I'm in need of a job. I've applied many places and had some interviews and continue to apply. And then look what she says. She says, waiting is hard. Some days I know that God has us and will take care of us, but the stress is getting to us. Please also continue to keep Dave in your prayers for healing. He just returned to work after being out for two weeks. Please pray for the stress to ease and for something to come about this week. We are struggling financially. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I told you, you knew this psalm without knowing it, probably. And the truth is, and, and man, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. And it's, it's not something like you enter the Christian life, man, thank goodness I don't have to wait anymore. Like, no, when you enter this life, like waiting is just a part of this. And I know you don't like waiting, and I know you don't like being patient. I don't like it either. I'm not good at it. Um, I am I just straight on full confession. If you don't go when the light turns green, I honk. I'm that guy. I know. Because my life is important and I need you to get out of the way. Right? I confess, it's a sickness. I can't stop. Just like if you like sit at that light, man, just I, what is it? Like fire is inside of me when that happens. I just want you to know how important I am, right? Can't be bothered to wait for people. But I think how we wait says something about us. And this is like, this is a tough part of scripture. Because how we wait does say something about us. It says something about what we believe about God. I, I know in scripture it says, they will know you are Christians by our love. But I, but I think there's another one. I, I would add to that. Like they will know we are Christians by how we wait. I like the first one better. <laughs> because too many of us are like the, uh, you guys know the Queen song, I Want It All? You know that song? I asked the band to play it for us. They were like, you can't ask us on the day of to play a song we don't know. You know, come on. <laughs> you know the lyrics. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. 
and I want it. How we wait reveals some truth about us, whether you like it or not. And here's the danger. Has your waiting ever become infected and sick? You see, I've seen waiting start to turn. I've, I've seen it, you know, like sometimes we were waiting on something and it, it kind of starts out okay for a while, but over time, like, like waiting in us, like, like it gets heavier and it can start to spoil in us and it, and it curdles like old milk. It, it, like our waiting begins to rot us from the inside out. And, and it can turn into something altogether unpleasant if we let it. Has your waiting ever turned into resentment? Has your waiting ever turned into discouragement? Like if we're not careful, the way we wait will look just like the beast of, of Daniel chapter 7. They grow horns. And they start to even, they start to blaspheme God. Let me ask you a tough question. Have you ever been mad or irritated with God because he hasn't given you what you wanted when you wanted? That ever happened to you? Have you ever taken the time when, when you begin to feel that animosity towards God for not responding the way you want? Have you ever taken the time just to kind of deconstruct that and look inside and, and go, you know, what is... What's the real root of that? You know what I found sometimes like, like, and I don't want to presume, but sometimes what you're really waiting for, what really frustrates us is the fact that the thing we want is just out of our control. We have a hard time living with that. You see, I think waiting like, can sometimes cause us to lose our perspective instead of gain it. So I want to talk about, just, just for a few moments, I want to, I want to encourage um, healthy waiting. Uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 9, verses 21 through 23, here's what he says. He says, as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. And then look what it says. It says, the moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. He says it again, it's discovered again uh, in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say for you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first time you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven, and I've come to answer your prayer. So how do we wait in faith? One of the things that I would actually encourage is uh, I, I just want you to take that thing that, that, that you're waiting for and I just want you to keep taking it before God. You say, well, I've done it a hundred times. Well, keep taking it. 
keep taking it. Like, like badger him about it, pester him about it. Like I, I would rather you take it to him a thousand times than it rot and curdle inside of you. Because it says like, he hears. Right, like maybe you, it's hard for us because we don't, it didn't seem like he heard, but scripture says like he, he hears and he responds. And like the overwhelming witness of scripture is that, that God is trustworthy. The overwhelming witness of scripture is that, that, that we're precious to him, right? That we're, that we're his children, and I know sometimes it's hard to believe that maybe God is the good, good father we sing about, that he knows what we need and want. But I mean, I, I think that's the faith part of waiting, right? Like to trust him to know what we need even when we think we know what we need, but to trust him to know what we need and to provide what we need when he can. We sang that verse and the very first song we sang today, there was a lyric in there. It says, I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. So I think one of the ways that we help keep our waiting from becoming sick is to continue to just wait in faith, to cry out to God all you want. And, and I want to just remind you of this. Uh, I saw this great quote from John Piper. He said, God has given us 10 million things and we can only remember three of them. God's not stingy. Like, tweet that out. God's not stingy. He's not holding out on you. And sometimes, like, like here's a whole different way of thinking about this. Like, sometimes I wonder, I wonder what it must sound like to God when I complain to him about not getting the thing that I want, and I act like I didn't get this thing that I want, so my life is over. Like, like what must that sound like to God who has given his own son for us. Have you ever thought about that? God, I'm having to wait and wait and wait. My life is over. And God's thinking, man, I've given you life. I gave him to you. I sacrificed him for you. You know, what I would say, I know you know this. You, you've heard this before. Like, uh, all good things come to those who... I would change that. I, I would just say all good things come to those who trust in the Lord. We're going to get to the relief side a little bit more next week. And, and what I want you to see, like in Scripture, there is, frankly, there's just a lot of waiting. There is, there is a lot of waiting one of the things that happens in the Exodus is, you know, you have the Pharaoh and the release of God's people and they march out to the promised land and, oh, you're not ready for the promised land. And they go back into the wilderness for how long? 40 years. You know, like, like they have this season of waiting and like, you know, how comfortable was that? Not. You know, they're right on the gates of the promised land, but it's not time yet. And here they are. They have to wait. And if you look carefully in this story in the Exodus, what you see is God pursuing people, his people, like crazy in that waiting place. They're looking for the promised land, and the whole time God is looking for them. And I just want to remind you that, that waiting can be 
I'm not saying that everything about waiting is great or is always going to feel wonderful, but, but I think waiting can be a time of intense relationship building. What, what I would say is in your waiting, there is opportunity. There's opportunity to turn from God, but there's also opportunity to turn to him. And if anything, the Exodus story of their time in the, in the wilderness is, is God begging and trying to draw. He creates a whole new way for them to relate to him and be close to him and near to him. And, and I think God still offers us that in, in our waiting place too. There's opportunity to be near him as we wait, to lean on him in new ways, to discover him. I love a, a C.S. Lewis just as, just as a wrap up, uh, there's in one of the CS uh, stories, the voyage of the Dawn Treader, do you guys know this one? It's the boat one. But there's a darkness that's come over all of the land, right? It's swallowing everything up. And even as our heroes are on the ship together, this darkness begins to surround it. And I, and I just wrote this, so just, just when things seem to be at their worst, Lucy calls out to Aslan, asking him to deliver them. And suddenly, a brilliant, shining albatross flies over the ship and around Lucy, who is standing in the crow's nest. It leads them out of the darkness and back into the light. And Lewis, he writes these words, but no one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it had whispered in her ear, courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. And with the voice, a delicious smell breathed in her face. This is a tough teaching because I know some of you are waiting. You're waiting for a family member to come home. You're waiting for test results. You're waiting for some news, some word, some hope about your future. And my encouragement to you is as gently and as lovingly as I can tell you is don't let your waiting sour and spoil. And if it has, it's okay. It's okay. But I would encourage you and invite you to repent of that. And instead... I want to offer these words. It's come straight from Psalm 27, verse 14. The psalmist reminds us, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. The psalmist says what C.S. Lewis so eloquently quotes in three words. Courage, dear heart. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to send you to a time of, of response and communion. We've got the table set up around the room, and uh, if you're new to this tradition, there'll be some instructions on the screen. We just want you to know this is sacred space for, for you to respond and connect with the Lord. And uh, so uh, if you would, I'm just going to invite you to, uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you just go ahead and every, every, everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. And just, just before I begin to pray, I'm just going to ask you a question. Everybody, you, you can do it. Your eyes are, your eyes are closed and, and your head is bowed. If you will, if, if you will trust me this morning, I, 
Uh, I'm just going to ask you this. If you are in that waiting place today, will you just raise your hand? Every head's bowed. Nobody's looking. If you're in that waiting place, will you just raise your hand? Father God, we just uh, need you so much in this place. It seems so long sometimes, and, and God, our, our hearts are, are, are tired, and sometimes we get weak, and, and God, forgive us for if our waiting is soured or spoiled somehow. Father God, for these hands that are raised, God, just help us to, to surround them with your love and, and support. God, nobody in this place waits alone, not, not a single one. Let us in love and compassion reach to each other and, and lift each other up in your name. Father God, it's just hard. Waiting is just hard. And sometimes we don't understand. And so God, I just, we invite you now to, to move in, to surround us with your love and your touch. Remind us that we're not alone in this and that, that we are precious to you. Father God, thank you for your son Jesus, for his life and, and for his sacrifice and, and for what it means. Because of him, Father God, we can have courage, dear heart. You can lower your hands. Father God, we offer this prayer in your son Jesus' name, and everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.